Welcome back to another edition of the Wits Up Podcast. It is fantastic to see all of your friendly faces today. I am chatting with someone who I believe is an icon of the sport. She's an incredible woman. Her name is Karen Smyers. And she, like her list of her achievements um, and hurdles she's jumped over and obstacles she's faced throughout her career uh, and just incredible performances uh, are ridiculously long. Um, I actually tried to cover a bit of it in the podcast, but uh, like any good Wits Up podcast episode, we end up going on different tangents. In fact, the start of this episode, I think it's 15 minutes in and then I actually introduce her. Uh, And it's just because when I started recording, um, because I've made mistakes in the past, I hit record pretty much as soon as we started the phone call uh, or video call, internet call, worldwide, whatever, uh, over the interwebs call. So I hit record as soon as uh, we connected and we just started chatting and got into it. And I uh, typically will say to most people who I speak to, is there anything that's really off limits? Because a lot of the times I don't know where this conversation will go. And just by asking that question, the the episode was up and running without us knowing it. Uh, so it takes me a good, I don't know, 15 minutes or so to actually introduce Karen Smyers. Um, anyway, uh, she's an incredible person, athlete, character, motivational person. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed chatting to her. Uh, I want I want you all to get to know her a lot better. Uh, I feel like we barely scratched the surface, but even the surface that we did scratch, there's a lot there that you can take away from this. Um, and, and regardless, it felt like I was just catching up with a mate um, and you know, someone who I knew about when I first got into the sport and I've always really wanted to have the opportunity to have a good chat with her. Um, So this was awesome. Uh, So thank you, Karen, for your time. And I hope you all enjoy my catch up with the wonderful Karen Smyers. Uh, yeah, so anyway, so it doesn't matter if you haven't listened to the podcast, but I'm just going to give you a brief idea of what it's about. Obviously, it's about you. Uh, we typically try to steer away from triathlon a little bit because I want to know who the person is behind the athlete. Um, yeah. My whole sort of concept with the podcast is there's that many podcasts out there that talk triathlon and that's great, but we talk yeah. about triathlon and every other platform that we've got. So this is yeah. where I really want to dive deep into who the person is and find out a lot more about them. Um, right. Obviously it's going to come up in conversation um, and with you, especially it'll be a trip down memory lane in terms of your career um, and pre career and and everything as well so it will come up but the reason I wanted to just give you a heads up is is there anything that's off limits not that I've you know researched you and I found some you know some dirt on you or anything but sometimes (laughs) sometimes the conversations just go in tangents and I never plan it and it can be raw open and can take people by surprise Yep. Nope. I wouldn't say um, I'm a pretty open book um, when it comes to stuff. Uh, definitely, you know, I've had a lot of health issues over the mm-hmm. years and um, been very free about talking about them. Um, and I actually have a recent health issue that um, I never really, you know, went 
public with, but I've talked to many of my friends and people that um, sort of are aware. I've been searching for answers over the years, but for the last 10 years, I've been having trouble with uh, coughing up blood during races. So that's sort of what made me finally give up my pro license was uh, I just was having, I couldn't really race anymore without having this issue um, and not feeling like I could get um, enough air. And uh, so I've been getting tested, you know, stress tests, all these different things. And I finally got a diagnosis only a few months ago that I have uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a genetic heart disease that makes your left ventricle thicken up and stiffen. And um, I, I also have an obstruction um, of the left ventricle outflow tract, which causes sort of regurgitation into the lung, which causes the blood and um, can also, you don't get full filling of the left ventricle. So you don't get a full breath of air um, or as much oxygenated blood going to your um, body. So at least I have an answer. <laughs> it's not necessarily the one I want, but yeah. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out, I mean, they, they say so far it's genetic. Um, I mean, athlete's heart can cause certain thickening of, of your heart, but this is beyond that. And, um, but they did a gene test and they couldn't determine what gene might be causing it. None of my family has it, which it's, it's like the cause of sudden death in kids, you know, when they're the people that drop dead on the soccer field, that's hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So it's quite dangerous in kids in particular, um, wow. adults, if you're not di di diagnosed till you're an adult, generally you're not going to get sudden death just out of the blue, but, um, it does have, uh, you know, if it gets a lot worse, I have a mild case so far. I mean, it only shows up when I'm working really hard, but in any case, that's my, uh, latest <laughs> health issue that, uh, I'm still in the process of trying to figure out exactly if I can treat some of the symptoms and how, and I have some suspicion that my treatment for thyroid cancer over the years might have led to this a little bit. Um, wow. So anyway, that's my uh, latest. And I don't know if it's any, you know, I've been debating about like trying to write up an article or something about my saga more, probably the more interesting part of my, um, the last decade is that I've had to really, really stick to my guns in terms of the instinct that something was wrong with me because mm. every place I went, they're like, well, you're getting older, you know, like, of course you're not as fast. And I'm like, but I can't breathe when I'm running. Like I have to walk up hills. Like you don't realize that this is not normal. And it's, it's, I know what it's like to be out of shape. I had kids and had to come back. I've had, sure. you know, accidents, injuries where I had to start from square one. And it's not that, you know? Um, so just the, um, yeah, having to really, really rely on my instincts and, and keep pushing to find answers was kind of, um, and most athletes have good instincts mm. about their bodies, you know? Yeah. Um, you just have so. to listen to them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, wow. So anyway, I, so far the good news is they haven't told me I can't do anything. Um, so I can keep, you know, they didn't say in the old days, I would say even three to five years ago, they would say, oh yeah, with this HCM, uh, no strenuous exercise, like take up golf, you know, would be the kind of, um, advice, but I'm with a pretty, um, cutting edge cardiologist here in Boston who has been studying that advice and, and thinking that it's not, um, 
necessarily good advice for everybody. So he's a proponent of kind of trying to find your um, limits and being able to keep exercising because he knows how good that is for you in general, you know? Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> sorry, right now, all I can picture is you coming up with a new sport, which involves golf, endurance golf or something. So, you know, you run from one, <laughs> one tee to the other, and that becomes part of your, your well, they do have school. speed golf. Believe me, I have what? been looking into, yes. Yeah, haven't you ever, I think Californians started that. Like I, I remember reading about, um, like Paul Huddle and those guys getting into it where they would get on the golf course before it was open in the morning and um, you time yourself and you carry like one club and you hit off the tee and then you run to the ball, hit off the tee. And so you have a score that's a comp- um, a combination of how many uh, hits you took, but also how long it took you to do all 12 or 20 or whatever, however many holes you did. Um and I always thought that seemed a lot more fun than because it takes four hours or something to do a whole round of golf, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I have zero zero interest. I think I tried it once, and yeah, yeah I uh, I think I ended up picking up the ball and throwing it because I, <laughs> I don't know. I was bored with it. Of course, there is a sport called speed golf. Of course, there is, and of course, triathletes yeah, yeah. have found it. Right, right. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so. I actually have already been recording um, just because okay. I, I hit record straight away in case I forget to do it. Yeah, yeah. Do, what you just told me, do, do you want to keep going with that and we include that or would you prefer not to talk about it? Where, where are you at? It's totally whatever you think is um, going to be interesting to listeners. I mean, um, I guess I, I was just mentioning because I'm willing to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but um, it also can get pretty, you know, narrow (laughs) of a subject. And so, um, we don't have to go down that road. Um, you know, the other way it certainly affected me is I think a lot of people, um, they might go from that, especially professionals that, you know, did the sport, you know, for a living. And then at some point you do have to make a transition to, you know, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? If I, am I going to keep pursuing triathlon at an amateur level, which I certainly intended to do. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a, a tricky switch sometimes to, to go from that. Cause the amateurs aren't necessarily always willing to embrace you in yeah. the, uh, in their ranks, uh, especially if you're taking away an Ironman slot. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, um, at the same time, um, yeah, it, you know, some people don't want to keep competing when they, you know, they know they used to be the top of the world and now they're, you know, in something with a little less stakes or whatever, um, or that they don't want to have to compete against people that don't want them there. (laughs) And so then you, you know, you transition into, well, you know, what's my life as a athlete going to look like? Am I just doing it for, um, health reasons? Um, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, from someone like me who competition has sort of driven me from the time I was a kid. I mean, I just, you know, the only reason I went to school was so I could go to after school sports. And, um, so, not having a competitive sport in my life is, uh, it's sort of a step down in quality of life, in my opinion. You know, I, I just don't have the same passion. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm trying to find a way to, you know, keep that kind of, um, you know, drive alive inside me Mm -hmm. that, that makes me tick. Um, and yet without it being something where I have to push my body so hard that my, uh, heart and lungs are constantly saying, nope, don't go there. <laughs> yeah. Far out. So, okay. Uh, I would love to include everything that we've already discussed, even this bit here. Um, <laughs> and, 
Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to work backwards. So we're gonna let's just see where this goes. Please excuse this very brief interruption. I am just here to say, if you enjoy the content that we produce here at WitsUp, please consider becoming a WitsUp Patreon member. Just click the link in the description or simply head on over to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash WitsUp and sign up for as little as five US dollars a month. Uh, that's a rather large cup of coffee. I use that all the time. What else does five US dollars uh, a month equate to that could also be a nice you know a nice glass of wine maybe um i don't know I, I guess it depends on where you're going out for glasses of wine anyway back to the podcast okay so we've we've actually already started the podcast but um i am i still want to introduce you because i had this this whole thing i wanted to say to you to introduce you and and probably half our audience will know who you are but I think there's a new breed of triathletes who probably won't have heard much about you, which is why I'm really excited for them to learn a lot more about you because I think you're one of the most incredible athletes uh, slash people that I've met. I've met you in Kona a few times and I think, to be quite honest, I was a bit um, maybe nervous or a little bit blown away by how approachable you were I think you came to me and said anything I can do to help I love what you're doing just let me know and it wasn't an off-the-cuff remark you really meant it and I I actually don't think I really knew how to react because you're such an <laughs> icon in the sport uh for me at least anyway that I didn't know how to respond and then just over the years you've just become even more friendly and just this down-to-earth approachable person and I, I just wanted to say that to you. So in saying all of that, welcome to the podcast, Karen Smyers. Oh, well, thank you very much. And I have to say that what you've done um, is just incredible. I mean, your site is, is wonderful. And I love that you're getting all these stories out uh, about women in the sport. So keep doing what you're doing. And that was true in Hawaii. I mean, to be honest, I was there and feeling guilty that I, I just was there to like watch my clients and play. And I kind of felt like I should have a job. I should be, you know, doing some media or something. So, <laughs> well, when we all get back to the island, we'll get. I mean, I've been wanting to get you on the panel, and we'll we'll definitely do something together. Um, but I think I think this is a great way to remind people of the of the greatness that you are. Ah, oh, well, that's very nice because <laughs> fading from my memory very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so we, like I said, we've actually already been recording and so we're doing this podcast all over the shop. So we've started with a story and then an introduction. So hopefully people are still tuning in. I'm sure they are. Um, let, let's go with the latest, um, I guess, in your world, which is playing a big part of what's happening at the moment is this recently diagnosed heart condition that we've already spoken about. What I'm interested to know is, have the doctors said that being an athlete has actually made you a stronger person to be able to cope with this condition? Or is it the flip side where being an athlete has 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 brought this condition to, to light? Right. Yeah, that's a very good question. And um, I don't know for sure about whether what I've done all, all over the years has, you know, made it come on sooner or anything like that. Um, it's a weird disease in that mm. um it can have these sort of a late onset, uh, onset in terms of the symptoms. 
Um, but you were born with it supposedly. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you've had the underlying condition, but sometimes the symptoms just don't come about until later in life. And a lot of times it is triggered apparently by like menopause, um, uh, change in hormones, things like that. Um, I do think that probably one, I bet I wouldn't even know I had it yet if I weren't an athlete, because I don't have symptoms other than when I'm pushing myself hard. Mm. So, um, uh, I probably wouldn't even know about it. Um, and I don't think I would need to know about it because I don't think mine is necessarily dangerous, um, at this point. Um, it is good to know about it fairly early on, because I think there are things you can do to, um, prevent it from getting worse. Um, so, you know, knowing about it a little bit earlier when you're starting to have symptoms is, is good. And it's very, um, misdiagnosed, like in missed, uh, people can often be complaining about breathlessness and all these other things. And, um, and it can take several visits to several different, uh, hospitals, doctors, whatever, to actually finally nail it down. So, mm. um, in some ways, I guess it's good that I, you know, got to the bottom of it when I did, um, I don't know if, you know, the continually pushing myself contributed to it at all. They, they yeah. think in general, you know, the stronger your heart and lungs are probably the better you're going to handle it. Um, there's definitely people that have this disease that, you know, they have trouble with just everyday life. Mm. And, um, you know, given that I'm starting from a pretty high point, I guess, in terms of function, I presume that might ha help me out in the long run. Yeah. Um, but they're still learning quite a bit about it. So it's actually somewhat new. Um, but it's not the same as, you know, there is such a thing as the athlete's heart, which I mentioned earlier. And I read the, there's a book called the Haywire Heart, which I was, I was doing all diagnosing myself, or at least, you know, I was on Google late, 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 many, many nights, just going Talk down rabbit holes, yeah. you know, just Googling like blood in lungs, athletes, um, you know, um, and you know, uh, lack of oxygen in limbs, you know, just all these symptoms that I was feeling. And, um, it often would lead me to things like, um, the athlete's heart and, um, arrhythmias and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I do not have those classic kind of athlete heart problems. So nothing in the haywire heart spoke to me. I mean, it was an entire yeah. book about problems with your heart from that athletes have, and nothing was like what I had. And that's why I did actually start talking to a lot of people about it. I would mention it quite a bit because I'm like, somebody somewhere has what I have. But, mm. um, and that's the one thing that got doctor's attention was the fact that I was getting blood in my lungs when I raced. And um, they're like, oh yeah, that's not normal. And that's, you know, usually kind of a warning sign of something not being right. Um, I looked a lot and learned a lot about um, the swim-induced pulmonary edema, which you've probably heard a little bit about. Um, I learned a lot more about it through <laughs> Googling. Yeah. Um, but that's where a lot of triathletes, um, have problem that when they start to swim, all of a sudden they're, they're out of breath and they start coughing up a kind of frothy, bloody, um, uh, kind of sputum. And sometimes they have to get pulled out of the water and go to the hospital because they can't catch their breath. Mm. Um, and they're still trying to figure that out, but it's, it seemed like it might be related to what I have, but I never got it on the swim. So ended up, um, being different. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, how easily these kind of, um, things can be mis misdiagnosed and, and that's no disrespect to doctors. This just, I mean, the human body is an incredible thing. Yeah. Um, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine yeah. a lot of people, um, who went through say even the, the swimmers condition, um, 
you know, would have been diagnosed as an anxiety attack, you know. Right, right. Um, or asthma, a lot of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, please don't think I'm rude. I know that asking this question is quite taboo, but I, I've just got this theory that it shouldn't be because age is, is a number, and but it can be a significant number, and it is part of your story, um, <laughs> you know. So can, do you mind me asking how old you are? Not at all. Uh, if I get to race it all this year, I'm moving into a new category and uh, let's just say 60 is the new 50. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm 59 now, but I'll turn 60 in September. Ah, uh, do you have, what's the big 60th birthday party plan? You know, I'm, I'm reluctant to try and plan anything mm. right now, given uh, um, the state of the world. But to be honest, I should be at the Collins cup. Um, cause the Collins oh, cup has, um, moved to the end of August. And, um, when it was originally supposed to take place in May of last year, um, my daughter had just graduated from college and she'd never been to Europe. So the plan was to travel around Europe with her for a couple of weeks, um, mm. after the Collins cup. Um, she's since had to start her full-time job, but I think she still has some vacation time. So, if it should happen, um, we might do something like that after the Collins Cup. Um, if if Europe is <laughs> uh, available to traveling around by then, fingers so, crossed. Yeah, and the Collins Cup. That's a great just little segue on that. Is you are one of the captains. That's right, captain for the USA women's team. Um, yes, which is very cool. It's been really fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, to be, to be honest, I probably shouldn't confess this, but as I was, uh, looking at your predictions for, uh, 2021 and you were talking about more pregnancies and, you know, as the captain, like I, I'm not in touch with the U S women all that much. It was great that I got to go to Daytona and meet some of the U S athletes. Cause I've been out of the sport a while. I mean, I still go to Hawaii, but you don't meet everybody there. You know, they're in their own little cocoon I've you know, met some of the people briefly, Um, but I haven't really been at the races that the new crop of athletes have been at. So, um, it was great getting to meet some people at Daytona, but I saw on your, uh, little, uh, uh, thing there that Chelsea is pregnant, which I had no idea. Chelsea Sodaro. I was like, Oh, well, there goes one of uh, our top prospects. (laughs) Who knew? Well, to be fair, she, she didn't announce until very, very late. So she, the public have only just sort of known recently. So I think, I think you get a pass on that one. All right. Phew. <laughs> yeah, you did see the announcement. Um, it was only about maybe seven hours ago that Sarah Piampiano has had a little or has a new little man in her life. Oh, really? Oh, that's yep. fantastic. Oh, great. Let me just double check that that was on Instagram because oh, otherwise. <laughs> you might have to edit that out. <laughs> um, yes, because I was aware of it before. Um... <laughs> the, the general public. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, no, she's definitely posted it seven hours ago. <laughs> you all right? Yep. <laughs> you heard it here second. That means second. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I love seeing um, all these uh, pro triathletes turn moms because I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's such a life changing event, you know. And um, mm-hmm. I like that people try to do it all. It's not for everybody, I I know, but yeah. um. um I just like seeing people experiencing the joys of parenthood. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty awesome. I have to. Admit. And how you have just the, do you have the one, the. Yep. She's and a, like two, two and a half. Yeah. Okay. Two and a half. Um, and she just, I just dropped her off at daycare, um, which is only, 
we've only just gone back to daycare this week. Uh, so it's been a year uh, oh, since wow. she's been in there. And the first couple of days I was okay. This morning I burst into tears. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I just, uh, I don't know. I think we were the only ones there because I had to drop her off early and she just didn't want to let me go, which is normal. Obviously I know, but yeah. I don't know. There's something, hormones are flaring up this morning and I cried all the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I yeah. have been there. Yeah. yeah. And what's so funny is that you'll carry it with you. Like you have this little bit of sadness until you see her again. And mm-hmm. they probably forget about it within about 10 minutes. Like I, I remember my daughter, like putting her on the bus to go to her kindergarten or whatever. And, you know, she was like sad saying goodbye. And so, you know, for the whole day, I'm thinking how sad she is. And yeah. she gets off the bus. She doesn't even remember it happened. You know, she's like, oh, it was great. It was so much fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. The guilt it's, you hear about the mother's guilt or the parent's guilt. It's a yeah. very real thing. Very mm-hmm. real. Um, so speaking of kids, this is great. You're, you're fantastic at um, hooking me up with tangents to, uh, or segues to go down <laughs> Because I wrote down something from your website and it just, it made me laugh. It's a quote from your website. Uh, I just need to find it. Um, And we're we're going to get to some of your freak accidents because one of them is an absolute freak accident. And and that is you're hit by a shard of glass that um, cut your hamstring. Is that right? That's right. So we're going to come back to that. But the bit that I'm talking about is on your website, it says, not to miss an opportunity, they then had a baby while you were out of action from racing. So you're like, oh, yeah, my hamstring's gone. Let's just have a baby and then I'll come back to racing. And I was like, yep, that sounds like, that sounds very Karen Smyers in that anything is an opportunity and we just, we're getting shit done and all right, it's time to have a kid. What the heck? Part of the, yeah, well, it, it, you know, in a way it's, it's part of my, I guess, uh, personality that, you know, you don't dwell on the negatives. You try and find the positives and you look for the silver linings. And, um, I have to say the the biggest negative of that accident was that, um, I had done all the training for an Ironman. Like I, I hate training for Ironmans. I don't, (laughs) I don't hate it, hate it, but, um, there's a part of me that finds it such a chore. And, um, I guess I like it because it's challenging and I know it takes me out of my comfort zone. And I think I needed that at the time that I started doing it. But in any case, case to do all the training. The reason I do it is to have the, the, you know, um, uh, reward of a race where, you know, I get Mm. to do well and see what the training got me. So to do all the training. And then all of a sudden this accident happens, I was supposed to leave the very next day on a flight to go to Europe for a world cup in Monte Carlo. And then I was sticking around for a couple of weeks to taper and then do the Ironman Roth. And, um, (sighs) so the, you know, the flight was the next day and I, I'm, changing the stupid window glass cuts my hamstring go to the hospital and end up um, with a cast um, from ankle to hip and they say yeah it's probably six to eight month month rehab and you know I gave myself a day of like oh cancel the flights I guess uh, all that Ironman training is gonna just whittle away Mm -hmm. wither away but um you know pretty early on I'm like six to eight months you know, what's a pretty good layover with six to eight months is nine month maternity leave. (laughs) So, um, I did still have a cast on, which presented a few, (laughs) we're like sooner the better, you know, because, uh, nine months (laughs) is longer than six to eight months. So we don't want to waste too much time. (laughs) So yeah, I'll let, I'll leave the rest to your imagination, but, um, (laughs) 
Oh, that's uh, good. Yeah. But you know, to be honest, I was 30. What, how old was I then? Um, so 97 that happened. I was 36 years old and I knew we both wanted a family and yeah. I was at the height of my career. I had one Ironman and world championships in 95, 96. I had said, we had talked about maybe taking a year off then. And I was like, you know what? I want to try and defend my title. You know, how many times do you get to go back to Ironman as the defending champion? So mm-hmm. I went back in 96 and I kind of had a race I wasn't thrilled with. I had some bad nutrition problems and um, finished third. So I was feeling a little bit um, unsatisfied about that performance. And so I'm like, one more year, you know, to to redeem myself. And so, but you could do that all the time as a professional female, like, especially when you're racing well, to to take time off when you're at the height of your earning potential and Mm -hmm. health and everything. I was like, oh, geez, when are we going to do this? So in a way, I look back on that as just a gift, you know, that it was like, ah, you have time off, get going. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm pleased that it, uh, it worked out so well. Oh uh, gosh. And I, I, and that's, uh, why we're possibly seeing a lot of pregnancies, you know, in the last. Yeah. With the pandemic. Months. Exactly. Yeah. Smart yeah. girls. <laughs> Absolutely. My goodness. Just, just going back to the, cause we kind of glossed over the actual, how it happened. Oh you're, yeah. You're fixing a wind. Was it because of a, a storm? It's a storm window that I think we might've kind of had made at a hardware store. Like it wasn't a, you know, pre-made by a window company. So it was, um, and we had kind of not jerry-rigged it, but we had it like, uh, uh, you know, like a lever that kind of held it in place, just like, you know, that twisted. So, um, it was June of all times that I realized like, gosh, I want to open the window here. And it, we still have a storm on there. That's ridiculous. I'm going to go take it off right now. And so I went around, it was out put in from the outside and I went around to our back deck. Um, and it was above my head and it was a pretty big, you know, probably two or two and a half or three feet wide and another, three feet tall. And as I was, I undid the the things holding it in. And as I was lifting it out, somehow or other it cracked. And I don't know if there was too much flex because it was a, like a, a homemade kind of frame that wasn't strong enough, or yeah. if it was already cracked and I just had, didn't know it, you know, maybe it had cracked over the winter or something. But in any case, as I lifted it, all of a sudden it, everything fell out of the frame and started falling all around me. And I'm like, holy shit. Mm. <laughs> And I had the presence of mind at least to, I kind of, you know, everything sort of shattered and I went like this and I caught, I have a scar right here that probably blocked a shard from going right into my neck, you know, since I've seen stories, you know, of people that actually bled out because of accidents like this. So I managed to protect my neck, which is good. And, um, mm-hmm. but a shard, as I kind of turned, a shard just fell into the back of my um, leg because it was sort of sticking out in a way that it just cut in right on it. It cut through one hamstring out of, I think you have four. So it was the biceps femoris. And I looked down and saw the insides of my leg and, um, kind of got faint with (laughs) worry. And, uh, I was home alone at the time. So I had the, my only thought was like, Oh my God, get to a phone, call 911 before you pass out. Cause I was afraid that I might've gotten an artery or something. And, um, luckily I hadn't. And, um, and so an ambulance came in time and I had just sort of wrapped it up and was waiting for the ambulance. And, um, you know, thinking at the time I was hoping that maybe it was just, you know, a little skin, you know, that they could, um, so up, but yep. 
Yeah. But what they did was they, they decided to put me under anesthesia so they could really get in and look for any um, glass that might've gotten into the leg. And um, that's when he discovered that a muscle had actually been severed and he decided to sew it up. And if you sew it up, then you've got to um, go in a cast for a certain amount of time. So he was very apologetic. The orthopedic surgeon, when I woke up, he's like, I'm so sorry. I, I decided to sew up your muscle. And I'm like, you did the right thing. I, I really want it. You know? yeah. like, I promise I'm going to use it, you know, <laughs> but oh, he did gosh. say you could sort of learn to get by without it. But yeah, so that it was a total freak, ridiculous thing. And I use it. Oops. <laughs> what was that? Did you just say that? No, no. That sounded like Siri saying. Yeah, it did. Hmm. Oh, my phone picks from... up every now and then I'll say sausages or something. And Siri thinks that I'm saying, Hey, yeah, yeah, Siri. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. That's probably what happened. Sorry, Siri, not talking to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, that was, um, yeah, a bit of a, just out of the blue, weird thing. In some ways, you know, I think, well, it could have been worse if I <laughs> hadn't put my arm up or exactly. Um, and, and something really good came out of it. My daughter, Jenna. So, <laughs> wow. Far out. Okay. So then you had Jenna, who's your first and you would have been 37, I guess, by the time you had her. Yeah. She was born yeah. in 98. Yeah. 36 going on 37. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in, in the States, I think it's the same as this. It's probably the same globally. After a certain age, it's called a geriatric pregnancy here in Australia. And I think it's oh, probably really? similar over there. And I think it's something like the age of 30. You're, oh, you're... really? Yeah. I know. They're going to have to rename that. I don't agree with that at all. I know. Because, I mean, I'm, well, yeah, I think I was 37 six when I had Frankie. So yeah, same, oh, yeah. same kind of age. And yeah, yeah, they called me a geriatric and I'm like, right. I am a spring chicken and no I know. Tell yeah. me otherwise. Yeah, no, that's it. I think that must be leftover from the days when women were having children a lot earlier, but yeah. Um, I think they're, yeah, I could see into the forties. It starts getting a little more risky. And I did have a little more trouble with my second child, um, getting pregnant. Um, wasn't quite the, um, let's do it. Boom. It's happened. <laughs> um, with a cast and- on, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I'm like, I'm trying to get out of my head and now it's really weird, <laughs> but <laughs> what color was the cast? Was it just white? I just, you know, let women know that if they want something, they can do it. <laughs> I just, uh, but I, you know how people sign the cast? I just imagine <laughs> Like your husband going, sorry, what's your husband's name again? Michael. My, like Michael was here, was here <laughs> on your <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Anyway, we'll, we'll get off the top. But anyway, so you had Jenna yeah. <laughs> and then you made the return uh, to racing and your, your timeline is very impressive. So please excuse me if I get anything wrong. But I think after that, when you came back was it did you come fourth at Kona is that right um so no I got second um second so, ah, well, but sorry. it wasn't until that's all right Jenna was born in 98 and uh May of 98 and then um I tried to get back for 98 Ironman and uh that was when I had the second accident which was oh, um yes. I was hit by an 18 wheeler cycling <laughs> 
So uh, luckily I wasn't run over. I was just knocked off the road, but mm-hmm. um, it was uh, six broken ribs and a lung contusion, a separated shoulder. And that happened in August. And there was no way I could be ready by October after that. So um, I had to basically take the rest of 98 off. Uh, and then 99, I did come back and had kind of a full year of racing that year. Um, and a big driving force for me was that it was in the Olympics for the first time. You know, I'd, oh, I'd been yes. in the sport since 1984 and, um, there'd been talk about the Olympics since 88, you know, mm. um, and every four years we'd have more hope that maybe it'll get in for next time, you know, and, uh, you know, as kind of the national champion for seven or those years in the nineties, I was sort of, you know, poised to make the team if, mm. um, if they had it. And, um, so finally getting it in for 2000 was just such an exciting thing for us, you know? So that was a big thing on my, um, you know, in my goals was to, to try to make the team. Um, so 99, I spent, uh, I went to a lot of world cup races to try and get my ranking back since mm. it was, um, the points have been accumulating since 97 and I hadn't done any races. So, um, I managed to get back into the um, uh, ranked so that I could at least go to the races and go to Olympic trials and stuff. Um, but then I decided to go back to Ironman as well. And that was, uh, I raced, um, Lori Bowden won that year and mm-hmm. she passed me on the run. Um, and, uh, she broke three hours for the first time. So I'm, I'm proud that I pushed her to break the record. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and I was actually, I was, I was very happy with that race having been out for two years and, um, knowing that I was kind of rebuilding and, um, I felt like I raced up to my potential, which is all you can really ask. Yeah. And, um, and Laurie is no, uh, um, she's a bit of a legend in the sport over that. Distance yes, as yes, well. yes. So, exactly. yeah. <laughs> um, although I think that was her first win there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but yeah, she went on to, yeah, prove she deserved it for sure. Yes. Um, yes. So right before that race was when I found out that um, I might have thyroid cancer. So I did do that race also Ah. knowing that I um, might have thyroid cancer. So the next step was to get a biopsy. And they had told me, you know, to confirm it, you have to do this biopsy. And it was only four or five weeks before Hawaii. And I'm like, oh, geez, you know do I have to do it right now? Or can I you know, concentrate on one thing at a time? And so they said, you know, it's really slow growing. If you want to wait until after Hawaii, that's fine. So my husband, and I talked about it and just decided let's take, let's tackle one thing at a time. So I kind of just put it off to the side and did Hawaii. And I remember fin- right after I finished just the thought kind of going back in my head, like, oh, that's right. Jeez. I might have cancer. Like what's going on? Oh How can I have God. cancer when I just finished second in the Ironman, you know? That, um, that's a, that is a brilliant question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, did anyone at the time know about that or did you just keep it between you and Michael? Uh, my parents knew, um, but I didn't really talk about it too much with anyone yeah. else. I mean, yeah, just I think it was partly that I was trying to not necessarily dwell on it too much until mm. yeah, I was ready to handle what was to come. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, to in, um, it sounds worse than it is. And in some ways, because I wasn't having any symptoms of mm. my thyroid mis, um, not functioning properly. Um, I just had some nodules that, 
made my throat look full. And that's, I'd gone into the doctor for bronchitis and I just mentioned, I'm like, you know, I don't have a hollow in my neck anymore. Like it sort of seems like something's big in there. And he took a look and he's like, well, that's your thyroid and it is pretty swollen. You know, why don't you just go get it checked just in case, you know, get an ultrasound. So that's what led me down the road, but I was feeling fine. I wasn't, um, my thyroid, um, levels were all quite normal. So it, it, you know, it, it, like I said, it sounds worse than it is. Um, and, uh, you know, in some ways I'm like, geez, what if I just never knew about it? How thyroid cancer is so slow growing that mm, who knows if it ever would have come to a point where I actually was, you know, suffering symptoms. I'm not sure. Um, but I mean, it is quite treatable, so it's good to get it out of there. So you don't, um, yeah. end up having troubles later. <laughs> but again, it was, you knowing your body so well that you recognize that because yeah, the doctor yeah, clearly would degree. have picked, yeah, up, picked on it. It up no not at all yeah um, far out imagine yeah. crossing the finishing line at the world championships in second place and <laughs> one of your first thoughts is how could i have cancer and still like how is this <laughs> i think it was definitely it was what interested me is how much i had managed to put it out of my mind yeah like i think i just subconsciously was like you know what? Focus on one thing at a time. So yep. once I'd finished, it was like my, you know, this little bell went off like, oh yeah, now you have to deal with this, you know? And so wow. uh, I was sort of just um, admiring a little bit how well I did it at compartmentalizing. <laughs> that is a skill. That is a very solid skill that you've got. I also, <laughs> I get the impression uh, from, from watching your career, but also just our chat now is that you're a you're really, you're obviously a very positive p- person and that, that is very obvious, but you seem like a really good problem solver. You'd have to, like with all the things that have happened, even just listening to you with the, uh, the window and the glass cutting the hamstring, that, you know, your thought process was, this could be really bad. I need to get to the phone straight away in case I do pass out. Like just that yeah. thought process. I feel like you're very meticulous in your most thinking people are when they you know when it comes down to it like you do what you have to I guess um uh I do tend to be someone that looks forward rather than backward I guess mm. so you know I don't dwell too much on like um oh geez I wish this had been different you know um yeah. it's more like okay here we are in this position what's the best way forward and I don't know if that's uh I guess I, I grew up with a family of seven kids and uh, oh, wow. I think that taught us some um, resiliency quite a bit, yeah. you know, it was, uh, and, and you couldn't, you know, you know, an only child gets so much attention that they become a little bit self-centered and, you know, and I think with seven kids, we just learned to sort of, um, uh, you know, not expect a lot in terms of being coddled and um, uh, we learned to just sort of make our way and, um yeah. My mom couldn't possibly make lunch for all of us. So, you know, we learned very early on how to make our own peanut butter and jellies. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah we, we very much learned to kind of fend for ourselves and um, not expect a lot of handholding. And so I bet you that had some, has something to do with it. Yeah, I imagine. Are you, uh, are you still quite close to your family? Yeah, it's actually great. Um, the one I think uh, kind of positive out of this pandemic is um, we've started doing a weekly Zoom call with my parents since we haven't been able to see them at all. And um, pretty much all of us are on almost every week. And I never would see my siblings that often if it weren't for uh, um, a weekly Zoom call, you know. So it's been kind of fun to uh, uh, 
catch up with everybody more often. And um, we were, it's amazing when I think the biggest tributes to my parents is the fact that we all get along and enjoy each other's mm-hmm. company. You know, we don't have a lot of um, infighting at all. Um, and uh, we actually look forward to family reunions and things like that. So, and all my brothers and sisters are very um, athletic and love sports and activity and stuff. So I swear, if I go to a, a we, we do every other year, we've been going to this place in Vermont um, on a lake and um, they have tennis and golf and uh, several of my siblings bring and in-laws bring their bikes. And, um, you know, it's every minute of the day pretty much has an activity going on. It's like the tennis tournament. Okay, but let's get in a bike ride first and then we'll do a quick run and then we'll meet down at the lake and go for a swim and then we'll drink beer and play games that are, you know, uh beer pong or whatever. So it's like, uh, uh, I come away from there feeling like I just went to a triathlon camp, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but that's definitely influenced me a lot in terms of, uh, um, getting to love sports was that my older brothers and sisters were, you know, the first ones to do swim team and I wanted to do what they were doing. And then they did, um, my older sister got into gymnastics. And so I got into gymnastics and they joined the tennis league. And so I joined the tennis league. So, um, yeah, I was constantly kind of following their footsteps and, and discovering, uh, how much I loved the different sports. So where, where are you in the lineup? I'm right in the middle. So three older, three younger. Oh, wow. Um, Smack bang. And I have to just throw this out right now because this is kind of interesting, I think. And, yeah. uh, I'm so um, proud and a little bit envious. My youngest sister, who is 12 years younger than me, um, so yeah, that still makes her, what, 48? And yeah. uh, she just uh, sent us a little email last night that she just won her second American Ninja competition. What? <laughs> so she, she, it's not like national, national, it's local, but she's racing elite. So she's racing against these, you know, girls in their twenties for the most part. And, um, she has, she trains at this little ninja gym oh and, um, she, it's so fun to watch. Like, uh, you know, she's not quite it. She's tried to get into some of the bigger televised competitions. Um, like the but, American uh, Ninja Warrior. That's the, that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where they, you oh know, they gosh. do these obstacles and yeah. balance stuff and, and lots of strength and arms and swinging and grabbing things. And, um, she's amazing. So she was a, she was the best gymnast out of all of us by far. A lot of us did gym gymnastics in my family, but, um, my youngest was definitely, or my youngest sister was definitely the best. And, uh, she kind of discovered this in her forties and she's like, Oh, this is really fun. And my gymnastics background helps me out. And, uh, she got good enough. She's like, huh, I think I'll try a competition and, oh, I'm good enough to be in the elite. So I think I will. <laughs> so she's, uh, she's only done it. two competitions and she's won them both. So I'm like, you're undefeated. Yeah. So wait, does, so she's elite. There's no other, I guess there's amateur racing and age group divisions and stuff, but she's, yeah. she's the next level up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's <sighs> like, um, yeah, it's, it would be the same as if you were at a local triathlon and you wanted to race elite yeah. rather than in your age group, basically. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Is there much anyway, prize money just, in it? I'm kind of just, uh, she, I don't know that they, I think she won like a free entry to the next competition yeah. or something. I'm not sure that she won any money yet. Yeah. Um, I think if you do get into the sort of big national competitions, there is. And so this yeah. is more of her local gym, but, um, wow. so anyway, I just mentioned it to show that this is the kind of thing in my family. Like I, you know, I, 
and we do a local Thanksgiving day road race. We always go to my parents, most of us at least that can, um, for Thanksgiving. And there's, a uh, the biggest, uh, or longest running road race in America is the Manchester road race, which is just a town over from where, um, I grew up. Yeah. My parents still live. And, um, uh, so it just became a Thanksgiving tradition that whole, you know, one time we had, I think, 20 family members running this race in Thanksgiving morning. And, um, you know, I can't run. I'm nowhere near the fastest in my family anymore. You know, so there's um, and, and that used to, you know, people would be like, you know, Karen, you trying to, you know, win Ironman again? I'm like, no, I'm just trying to beat my sister, Donna. You know, <laughs> like that's enough competition these days. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love your family. Can I come and hang out at Thanksgiving? (laughs) Just make sure that you uh, you're rested up and fueled because it's it's not easy. No, it does not sound easy in the slightest. Um, (laughs) I I love hearing these stories. Um, And and this is no disrespect to my family. We we are just I'm very different to the rest of my family. The thought of uh, anyone in my family going out for a jog is just would not happen. Uh, So. I, I don't know. It just reminds me of the movies, you know, where everyone just comes together and has this epic camp with their family. Do, do your daughters uh, still go to the family catch-ups? Uh, yeah. So, um, so Jenna was not a, I, she did like, I put out a kids triathlon in my town here that um, where I live now. Um, you put on start- one. Yeah, I was a race director or a race yeah. organizer. A couple other um, members of Team Psycho helped me out. And um but uh, I started that when I was pregnant with Casey, actually. So Casey's a boy, by the way. So oh, I have sorry. a grown boy. That's okay. And um, all of my, both Casey and Jenna did the triathlon every year that they were eligible for the most part from age five to 14. But they only did it because they knew they had to because their mom. <laughs> I mean, when they were younger, they liked it. But at some yeah. point, they both decided, yeah, I don't think I'll be pursuing endurance sports. So um, Jenna was a soccer player. She played um, D1 soccer um, all through college. And um, now she's out and she's, um, yeah, she's definitely still active and stuff, but, and then she, you know what she told me last year, if the, during the pandemic, she decided she wanted to train for Boston, but then it got canceled. Oh. So, um, she, she at one point had said, I will never run a marathon. Why would you ever want to do that? You guys are crazy, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so I think there's some, you know, sometimes there's a change of heart as you get older. So yeah. maybe my son will come around in his older age too. Um, but they love, you know, doing, uh, you know, we have the tennis tournament, so they'll join in the tennis tournament at the family things. And, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're full participants for sure. And all this stuff. And actually I forgot we do, there is a tryout. <laughs> we just happened to go to this place, choose this place, Basin Harbor, Vermont, where after we'd been going there for probably five years, all of a sudden they decided to offer a triathlon the, the weekend that we're there. So, um, a whole bunch of us, um, in the fair, I think we probably had another, yeah, 24 or five people. <laughs> they usually get five or eight people doing the triathlon. And all of a sudden the Smyers family show up and there's like 40, you know, um, and we formed a bunch of relays and stuff too, so that, you know, even all the young kids could do something and they'd be paired with an uncle or an aunt or my, uh, 80 year old dad did it. Um, the whole thing himself when, I mean, he's oh 90 now, 91 but he it was his 10 years ago he did the whole thing himself so legend um, yeah 
Wow. Um, I've already alluded to this. Um, you're obviously very driven, very passionate, um, tenacious, all, all the amazing things. Um, and you, you've obviously inspired a lot of people over your time, a lot of people who you've probably never met. But I'm interested to know is what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've taught your taught your kids or what would you like for them to have learned from you? <laughs> yeah, um, it's a good question. And it's funny because in the beginning when um, my daughter was young, I totally wanted to like teach her to swim and, you know, teach her gymnastics and, you know, all these things. I was like, I have all this knowledge. I ought to be able to help her. And I realized kind of early on that she had no interest in learning from her mom. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if it was my approach or if it's just a mother kid thing, you know, that um, she, you know, would do fine if it was a different person teaching her, but she kind of rebelled against having, uh, having me be her, her teacher. So um, I think some of the things that they learn that you have to do it, not um, out uh, outwardly, you know, deliberate, <laughs> they have to just pick it up from the way yep. you are and, uh, um, setting a, you know, an example, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. I guess, you know, it would be just, um, perseverance really just, you know, knowing that, that things that you, um, if you want to get good at something, it doesn't come quickly or just, it's not going to happen in a flash, you know, and to not take first appearances as an indication that, Oh, I'm never going to be good at this. Mm. Um, that if you if you really work at it, that um, it's pretty amazing what you can accomplish. And uh, it hasn't always um, worked, but I, I remember in particular. I hope my son doesn't kill me for telling the story, but <laughs> he um, was interested in lacrosse and started. Uh, he joined this um, little lacrosse league when he was probably maybe I would say fifth grade or something like that, fifth or sixth grade, and. Um, it was the day of the first game and, um, an hour or two before he's like, you know, my stomach doesn't feel very good. I, I, I feel kind of sick. I think I better not do the game. And I knew he was nervous about yeah. the thing. I, I just knew that there was no way he was sick. And I was like, oh, Casey, I bet you'll, you'll feel better once you get going, you know, you're probably just a little bit nervous and that's natural, you know? And so, um, he started kind of digging his heels in like, I really don't think I should go. And um, I was like, Casey, I, I really think you ought to at least try it. You know, if you're feeling bad still, once the race, the thing gets going that, you know, tell the coach and he'll take you out or whatever. But he like, I don't really want to mom. <laughs> I'm like we're going. <laughs> so I like grabbed all his stuff and, and kind of went to the car and kind of made him come. I'm like, well, we're going over there regardless. We'll just see what's going on. You know, I drove over there and, He's sitting in the car like, I don't want to go. I don't feel good, you know, and he's he starting to kind of get upset and cry a little. And I was like, Casey, you cannot give in to fear. Like if you don't do something just because you're scared, you're never going to do anything in life. Like everything is a little scary. And, mm. you know, you're going to find out that you were scared of something that you didn't need to be afraid of, you know? And so I was having this long conversation trying to persuade him. And I, <laughs> at some point I was like, oh my God, is this child abuse? Or is this something I really have to teach my kid, you know? And I was going back and forth thinking like, it would be so easy to just give in right now and just say, you're, you know, okay, maybe next game, you know, and be empathetic. But um, I just had decided I'm digging my 
my heels in and I made him get uh, his stuff on. And he was late for the game by this point because he had stayed in the car so long. And I finally got him out on the field and, um, and just sitting on the sideline feeling guilty. You know, it's like that guilt thing. Like, Oh my God, did I just like browbeat him into this? Am I one of those pushy parents and all this stuff? And, um, you know, after the game, he comes out and he's like, I think lacrosse is my favorite sport now. You know, uh, <laughs> he's like completely has forgotten. He had a great time and yeah. you know, he didn't end up pursuing lacrosse in the end. But, um, you know, I was like, I'm so glad I made him do that. Like it was just fear. And, you know, hopefully that carried over into something else. But yeah, yeah, it's not easy making these parental calls sometimes, you know, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's absolutely. hard. And isn't that interesting how, you you know he he's the main part of that story and we're talking about him feeling nervous and and not wanting to do something but then in the same breath you're starting to question what you're saying to him and it just you know and, and I feel like that in the end comes down to gut instinct and your your gut was saying he is fine uh yeah, and this yeah. is this is a whatever you want to call it a teachable moment or what have you yeah, um yeah. but you're probably sitting on tender hooks the entire time just thinking yeah we also know about these overbearing you know uh yeah. parents that are living through their kids that make their kids you know do these sports that they don't necessarily want to do and kind of ruin it for the kids yeah. because you know the kids re- feeling the pressure from the parent mm. so you know i was very cognizant of that and i'm like i sure. don't think this is that situation you know and um yeah so, but in any case, yeah, there's, uh, um, there's a lot of things we can teach our kids, but <laughs> they're not always receptive. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of things that we're teaching the kids that we're not intentionally teaching them, like you say, and it's just about doing and being, and, uh, they pick up on things that we don't realize that we're putting out there. I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the other day, um, it's interesting that you talk about the overbearing parent, um, Frankie, we've got a stand-up paddleboard, which Frankie loves, and she calls it the boat. And it was a beautiful morning, and she talked about going out in the boat all morning and getting a stand-up paddleboard on a car, tying it up, getting all of her stuff. Like it's a bit of a mission, and then driving yeah. the 15 minutes to the beach, um, which isn't very far, obviously, but it's all a bit of a mission. Then we take it off, get down to the beach, and I'm doing this solo, and she starts crying and saying she doesn't want to go on the boat. And, and so I'm saying out loud so that everyone can hear me so that they don't think that I'm being the overbearing parent. I'm like, Frankie, yeah. remember, this is what you wanted. You wanted to do this. You love the boat so that people didn't think I was an asshole. Right, right, right. I'm getting my work out and you're coming with me, you know. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, exactly. Oh, that's funny. Um, I, want, I, I just want to flip that question and and ask you, because obviously, again, when you talk about growing up uh, with um, seven kids and and parents and, um, you know, learning from each other and fending for yourself and everything, what do you feel like is the biggest life lesson or, or any kind of lesson that you got from your parents? And maybe you got something a little bit different from either one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I do feel like, uh, that thing with my son was a little bit of, a um, paying it forward from what my mom <laughs> did for me. And I, cause I, I, I talk about this moment because it was very influential was, um, I had been a swimmer in my summer swim teams, which was, you know, not very competitive or strenuous. I loved it and it was fun. And we practices were you know, just pretty, 
um, low key. And um, I found out that one of the girls that I competed against did all year round swimming on this other club, serious, you know, um, U.S. swimming team, and um, that they practiced in our hometown once a week. And my mom's like, well, you know, if you really like swimming, um, you ought to, you know, check it out. Why don't you go to the practice when it's in Wethersfield? And um, so I'm like, okay. And I was very nervous and scared about it, but I went ahead and went. And, you know, it was like going from swimming 500 yards in an hour and a half doing your little sprint 25s in the summer to all of a sudden swimming for an hour and a half. And we got in like, you know, four or 5,000 yards and I could barely lift my arms after about a half hour's worth. I was so out of my league and tired. And I remember finishing the practice and and just being amazed at people that they just swam laps back and forth. Like I'd never done that. And I came home from the practice and I was really discouraged because I had thought, yeah, I want to be a swimmer, you know? Mm. And I remember coming home and just my mom was in the kitchen. How'd it go? I'm like, it was awful, mom. I God, I don't know how those people do it. They just swam lap after lap and I'm never going back. That was awful, you know? Mm. And she's like, Karen, you know, you've never done that before. Those people have been training, so they're used to it. Like, you you think that, you know, you couldn't do that uh, if Mary Beth Featherston can? That was the girl <laughs> that I wanted to, to compete against. And uh, so she was very, you know, smart, like throwing in that little, uh, you know, dig because she knew that would motivate me. Yeah, And um, she's like, why don't you try it at least one more time before you just completely give it up, you know? And so she didn't say you have to go back. You know, she didn't say, Oh yeah, you poor thing quit. She just was like, try it one more time. And, you know, don't give up before you've really given it a chance. And I went like somehow or other, I was so like not looking forward to it, but I went back the second time the following week and, um, just so happens. I mean, I did a little bit better than the first practice. Um, but, uh, I caught the eye of one of the coaches and when I got out, he kind of put his arm around me and he was like, you know, I know you struggled today cause you're not really in shape for this kind of practice, but I see something in you, you know, you've got a lot of heart and a lot of, you know, competitive drive and you could be really good if you stick with this. And that's all it took was like one, mm-hmm. You know, first of all, my mom not letting me give up too early and then somebody showing, you know, the potential, seeing potential in me. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, my God, he sees potential in me. <laughs> and and it co- totally got me fired up and I ended up joining the team and, you know, becoming a swimmer in high school and college and and then using that training for becoming a professional triathlete, you know. So I feel like just sometimes getting the right word from the right person mm-hmm. and um, um, and yeah, just finding the ways to stick with things and give yourself a chance, um, was key. I I always find it so interesting. Um, when you talk about, I guess, I mean, that was a key moment for you that, you know, the, and the, and the domino effect of your mom saying, give it one more shot. And you remember that conversation and then that particular coach saying, I see something in you. Those people probably don't remember those conversations. Uh, yeah. that was just, I another... know my mom doesn't really remember it because I've mentioned yeah. it to her before, <laughs> mm. uh, but yeah, that was just sort of her way. She, she was, um, definitely not the type to sort of coddle us at all. You know, mm. she, uh, um, you know, but she, she had a, you know, perfect kind of, not necessarily tough love, but you know, just, uh, just the right amount of like, quit feeling sorry for yourself and, mm. um, you know, make do or, uh, you know, well, you can do it if you want to work hard. If you don't want to work hard, then yeah, you're not going to do it. You know, that yeah. kind of, attitude, I guess. Yeah. Um, my dad, uh, in his, uh, uh, 
I think uh, what he handed down was um, he's always been very uh, chill, you know, like doesn't get riled up about things. Um, I think his like kind of low key, let things roll off your back kind of attitude definitely has helped me in terms of just navigating the uh, kind of emotional highs and lows of, (laughs) of racing and, you know, not letting uh, things get you down too much. And, uh, um, and also, yeah, remaining just sort of, I don't know, enjoying the sport for what it is and not getting too worked up about uh, results and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like the perfect combination. Yeah, I do. I feel very, very lucky, I have to say. Mm. Uh, Not to mention that I think I, you know, good genes for sure. I mean, the fact Mm. that all of us like sports, uh, they clearly um, handed us down some good, some good building blocks to work with. (laughs) Absolutely. By the way, I have to mention has the highest pain threshold of any human being I've ever met. Um, Well, yeah, she had seven kids. Yeah. And all of them, (laughs) none of them with any, um, you know, she, it was just when Lamaze was starting to become a thing. And so she did not have any, you know, medication and drugs, anything for any of them. She was sort of a, one of the first women to just be like, no, I'm going to stay awake and I don't need any of that. And this is a natural process and let's go. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Far out. Yeah. Yeah. I thought um, I'd be like that. I tried and then it got to a point and I'm like, Abby, yeah, I'm exact it. same with me. Yeah. <laughs> I had, Oh my God. I, I still have a little bit of PTSD when I talk about Jenna's birth. <laughs> oh really? Everything, yeah. It was not an easy one. Uh, oh gosh. Yeah. I had 48 hours of labor and, uh, and then, you know, at one point because it had been so long, they gave me the Pitocin to, you know, bring things along. And, um, and that's when I, after a little, that kicked in, that's when I was like, Oh my God, the human body wasn't meant to feel this. Like give me an epidural. And, yeah. uh, so then they like, are like, all right, why don't you try trying to push? And I'm like, all right, get out the catchers mix. I'm going to be good at this. You know, I was like, <laughs> so I start to push and nothing is happening. Like the only thing that's happening is my eyes are starting to bug yeah. out of my head because I'm pushing so hard and then nothing's happening that direction. So they're all coming out the <laughs> other direction. But, um, so after a while, they're like, yeah, you just don't, I think maybe the epidural is preventing you from using the right muscles. Like let's let that wear off some and oh. then let's try again. So they let it wear off and oh boy, I could feel things, but it wasn't the right thing. Anyway, I tried again for a while pushing and, uh, still could not get her to even start. And it finally turns out uh, they changed doctors because I'd been in there so long. And the new doctor comes in and he's like, oh, huh, this baby is sunny side up, which um, she was uh, flipped. So she wasn't facing my tailbone. So you, you kind of mm. curl out of the, the canal. And since yeah. she was the other direction, she couldn't do like a back bend, you know, like her neck wasn't curling the right way. So she was just kind of, and I have a smaller birth canal probably anyway. So she was just jammed. Yeah. She wasn't doing anything. So then they had to finally do a C-section after all that. So 48 hours uh, of labor and then a (laughs) C-section. Oh, that's horrendous. Yeah. And you know, the, the joys of, you know, uh, Pitocin and epidural in epidural. out. Oh my God. So you had a, uh, an interesting experience as well. (laughs) What? uh, to be honest, I, I, my birth story couldn't be more more awesome. Like it couldn't have gone better. To be oh, to really? be completely honest, um, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Long long story short, I ended up being induced, um, and because they thought she was going to be quite big, so 
and the doctor was busy all week. So he's like, I don't want to wait. I don't want you to go a week over uh, and then try and get you in. So I was induced on my due date. Um, uh-huh. Things started happening. We went out and got a pizza for dinner and I had a gin and tonic, <laughs> had the, had a sleepover at the hospital and then action stations the next day. Um, but it was it was intense, which is why I asked for the epidural. But then I barely felt much at all and really got to enjoy the experience after the epi- epidural and watch Frankie, yeah. like Brett Helen yeah, yeah. and I could watch Frankie come out. It was oh wow from a like a scientific point of view, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and obviously being interested in the human body through sport and everything, um, I, I had that similar feeling with the epidural is I couldn't figure out what um, – muscles I was meant to be talking to and getting to push and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the doctor had this way of, he was like a coach and he coached me yeah. through it. And then, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we, we had a good, a good birthing story. So, yeah. Um, so I mean, mine couldn't have been all that bad given that I was like ready to do it again. <laughs> Maybe that's why it, there was so long between the two of them. They're five yeah. and a half years apart. But <laughs> I had to let the memory fade a little. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm very aware that we have been going for a little while and um, I don't want to stop talking to you. I'm just going to have to get you back on because um, this has been such a delight for me, but I, I want to, I want to get my geek on a little bit, my triathlon geek fangirl on a little bit. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, because my memory, especially as you know, this last couple of weeks, my memory hasn't been great. I've been a little <laughs> bit scattered. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I stuffed up so many times trying to catch up with Karen, but we finally got here. Um, in 95, 1995, you won the Ironman World Champs. Was it five weeks later you won the ITU World Champs? That's right. Yep. Are you yeah. the only person to do it in the same year? Uh, Mark Allen has done it for Mark the men. Allen. I'm the only female to do it in the same year. Yeah. So, uh, and when Mark yeah. did it, he did it in the opposite order, which he did the short course first. Uh, I think it was, was it Avignon 89, and then he won Ironman that year. Yeah. So that's um, easier. In October. It's different, you know, it's easier. Uh, and it's only easier. Pe- people have made that distinction because, um, <laughs> it is different, but, um, I think it, for me, the way it worked out was perfect in a way. Um, not to mention that it also worked out in my favor that, um, Cancun that year, 95 ITU, um, worlds, uh, it was the first ever draft legal. And I fought to the nail against that rule because I thought it was kind of, taking away from the three sport, you know, prowess mm. that you needed. And, um, and I, I liked the interplay of, you know, the good bikers getting ahead and the runners having to catch them and all that. And I just thought it was just going to become kind of a running race. And anyway, so I was actually at the ITU Congress speaking out, trying to get them to not, um, you know, go with the draft legal format. And, uh, but we failed, we lost. <laughs> and so I went ahead and raced and, uh, didn't matter if my legs were a little tired from Hawaii because I got to sit on in on the bike the whole time. So um, I swear to God that that ended up helping me um, because all I had to do was muster up the energy for a, a good run. And it was in the heat, which, you know, I was already somewhat prepared for because of Hawaii, you know, I'd already run a marathon in the heat. So um, yeah, it, 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 things kind of worked in my favor for a variety of reasons. And another, I mean, I'll 
you can only race who shows up, but, um, I'm, I'm very aware of the fact McKeely Jones, who was one of my big nemesis is that, um, at that time that she didn't race because of the draft legal format. So <laughs> it was, um, yeah, we're, uh, I mean, there were definitely other, lots of other good people there. So I had plenty of yeah. good people to race, but, um, but yeah, I look back and think, huh, there are a lot of things that probably went in my favor there. Well, you, after all the stuff that you've been through, it's great that some things worked in your favor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. Those, are, those accidents, they, they get a lot of uh, attention because they all happened in a kind of short period mm. of time. And it was all leading up to this Olympics, which, you know, I ended up not making, which we didn't even really discuss, oh, but yeah. um, the, uh, I got a ton of attention in like 99 and the beginning of 2000, because I was this hard luck kid that was, you know, all these misfortunes. And then I was still trying to make an Olympic team. And I just, it fit the media's like mm. desire for a story in mm. the lead up to Sydney. And so I was on like, you know, late night with Peter Jennings, like all these big shows that I never, you know, when I won Ironman and world champs in the same year, that was, you know, a few years before that, I didn't get any attention other than from, you know, like, 220 magazine and yeah, yeah. triathlete, you know? Um, yeah. so it's funny that all of a sudden the outside media was interested in, uh, uh, in my story and it was all from things that I didn't necessarily have any control over, you know? Mm. Um, but, uh, but I also think that, you know, it sounded worse than it was. None of these things were, I mean, I look at what someone like Tim Don did, you know, with his breaking his neck or, um, you know, Matt, the, the um, uh, I get mixed up with Matt uh, Russell. Um, yeah, you know some of their comebacks I find just you know over the top incredible. Um, I mean, for me it was more like, yeah, I still want to race as a triathlete because I don't want to get a real job. So yeah, I'm gonna come back from this hamstring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't uh, think those those men want to get a real job either. So I'm sure. Yeah, that that's yeah. What no, I guess we're on. we're very motivated for uh, <laughs> to. Uh, hold on to a lifestyle that, you know, I, I still view it as like getting paid for my hobby, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I think that's part of the reason, you know, going into coaching and I still get to train with people and, um, get paid for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I I've still got so many other things that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, but, but I do need to wrap, wrap it yeah. up. I'm, I'm so sorry, but I really, no worries. I do. I, I'm not just saying this. I, w I want to do this again or in some other form, have another chat with you because I do have all these other notes here, I including in, in 92, you, you said something about earning a, a six figure income in the sport. And that's what sort of cemented, you know, your position as a professional triathlete. Is that, is that, that's right. I can't remember. Um, yeah, I saw it on your, on your website. But, but, really? But, yeah, my yeah. point. My point was, um, I, I was just going to talk to you a bit about, you know, where where um, the professional lifestyle has has gone in terms of trying to make a living in this sport because it has changed over the years, and I feel like mm -hmm. there was um, potentially more opportunities back then than what there is today in terms of earning a living, and that's for a myriad of reasons. You know, there's a lot lot more other competing sports and there's more people yeah. within the sport. And I find that a very fascinating topic. Um, but that might have to be for another day because yeah. I think we could talk about that for quite some time. Yeah, for sure. As yeah. well. Um, 
the one thing I'd love to leave this on, though, is, um, well, first of all, a quote that Didi Griesbauer told me about that you, because you guys are good mates, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yep. Uh, and we actually posted this just last week. One of the quotes that you gave her that's her favourite quote is, win or lose, we booze. <laughs> we drink the booze, yeah. Yep. Win or lose, we drink the booze, yep. And, and that's what reminded me that I'm like, oh, I've got to do a podcast with Karen. That's what that's what <laughs> triggered it in my head. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, it's funny because I um, have a little reputation. Well, one of the other big things I've given the sport, <laughs> this is my legacy, is the three two one taper. Did I ever hear about that? So the three two one taper I'd written about in an article once on tapering, but it's uh, three beers, three nights before the race, two beers, two nights before the race and one beer one night before the race and I said it's the perfect taper um but anyway I do generally have a beer the night before all of my races and it's sort of just kept me um of the attitude of like you know one thing is not going to make or break you so quit being all riled up and so nervous that you know one thing goes wrong you're going to fall into a pile of jelly you know Mm -hmm. so it just a way of relaxing me. I sleep better. And it's also reminding me like, you're doing this for fun. Like this is, um, you know, even if you are relying on your income, (laughs) all in all, you've chosen this lifestyle because you enjoy it and the nerves and the results and the ups and downs are all part of it and just embrace the journey, you know? So, um, and I think that's true with the win or lose, you drink the booze too. Like, you know, at the end of the day, sure. You can be disappointed in your race, but you know, for me, part of the fun of the race is going to the post-race party and chatting with everybody else that raced and just, you know, enjoying the camaraderie. And, um, if you get in a funk every time you, you have a bad race and go home and sulk, then you're missing out on half the, half the enjoyment of the sport. Absolutely. And that is the perfect way to end this chat as well. I cannot thank you enough for your time. Um, I'm been a pleasure. You're very easy to talk to. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's one of my favorite parts of my job. It's just I, I love talking to people and finding out more what makes them tick uh, and helping. Oh, gosh, my light just fell. <laughs> I was um, just thinking that my room has gotten darker and darker as yeah, we've yeah. been going on. I'm like, <laughs> we can still see you just. Um, just barely. I cannot wait for the Ironman World Championships to come back so I can have a Kona longboard beer with you uh, on the island. Let's make I that a date. I would love that. <laughs> um, Karen, thank you so much for taking the time and I truly mean it. I'd love to get you back in some some capacity on Wits Up. Uh, I think you're, I'm, I'm a massive fan. Oh, good. Well, um, vice versa. Feel the same way about you. So uh, let's do it again. You know where to find me. I don't got a lot on my uh, agenda right now. So (laughs) I love it. I'll help fill up that calendar for you. Yeah. All right. Thank (laughs) you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Hit subscribe. Give us a rating. Leave a comment. And don't forget, if you're not already a Wits Up Patreon member, sign up in the link in the description. But above all else, keep yourselves knee deep in awesomeness. (laughs) Woo!